This is the Level Flight Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We missed a week. We're back. All three of us are here. Oh, yeah. I'm Brian. As always, I am joined by Elliot. Hey, hey, hey. And Connor. All three of us. Look at that. It's been so long. It's been, what, four weeks since the three of us have started a podcast together? Yes. I'm saying that because uh, Elliot will have to leave partway through, but he will provide his expert analysis for the first little while. I really only have comments to say about the games. Um, So, (laughs) I mean, it works out anyways, but yeah. It's good to be back. I'm hoping that uh, we get into some good discussions today. Yeah. Yeah, so since our last recording, uh, a lot has happened. Um, We've missed a few games uh, from the week before, and then a very busy week uh, that had a lot to talk about in terms of consistency, uh, what we're sort of seeing on the ice versus what the other team is challenging the Jets with. But let's take it back a little bit. Um, You know, Last week, uh, the Jets saw the Ducks, Panthers, Blues, and Hawks. Um, significantly more successful week, I'd say, last week than uh, this one here. The thing is, like, you need when you're a good team, you need to beat your inferior opponents. You need to beat the teams you're supposed to. And the Jets are kind of at a point where, if you look at the list of teams they've played that we're going to talk about here, Ducks, Panthers, Blues, Blackhawks, Capitals, Golden Knights, Predators, those are all technically inferior teams that they should have beat. I mean, like, Vegas was without Eichel and Petrangelo. Uh, so... It's nice to see them go 4-0. Uh, they had two at home, two on the road. That didn't matter. They had a back-to-back. Riddick played, and they uh, they persevered and won all four. It was great. Well, the thing that got me, I got real worried at the beginning of that Ducks game um, when it seemed like it was going to be a lot closer than it needed to be. Um, and then uh, well, they rattled off, what, five straight? Yeah. Uh, so I uh, ended up winning that one 5-2. Uh, and then we had the, the return. Of Paul Maurice. The return. The triumphant return. Uh, yeah, 5-2 win in that one as well. And uh, a lot of what came out of that one was Shifley's comments about how happy and how how everyone seems to be really finding their way uh, with uh, with Bones behind the bench. Um, what did you guys take from that? Because that felt like a, uh, a bit of a backhanded thing that was not meant to be... Uh, not obvious, I should say. Like, it, 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 it felt very directed. Yeah, the I knew the post game might get. I knew they were going to interview Shifley post game after the first period when he said, uh, or uh, John Lou I think was interviewing him and he asked how he thought the ceremony went, uh, the tribute or whatever. And Shifley went out of his way basically to not say that he was a great coach in, in our time. He like, oh yeah, it was a good ceremony, but we got a big game here and we got to win. So and that was that. Like he never really said, oh yeah, I appreciate the years he spent as my coach. He's a good coach. He never really went out of his way to say he was a great coach. So I knew after the game there might have been something, and uh, that was one of Shifley's best games of the year. Um, scored two goals, I believe. He was playing really well defensively, and the Jets just rolled the Panthers. That was uh, that was an encouraging sight because the Panthers, they've been up and down this year. They have games where they can go off. They can score seven goals. They have the talent up front, uh, and it was nice to see the Jets kind of shut them down and outplay them for 60 minutes. Yeah, Maurice is... Shifley's longest tenured coach, right? right? So you'd hope that he would maybe say something nice about him, but he just completely disregards anything to do with Maurice. But I think that really shows who Maurice was, uh, maybe not as a person, but at least as a coach in that respect and how Shifley saw him. Because, I mean, you, you look at how he has responded to 
bonus and what they've implemented and bonuses coaching style. And I mean, you look at his stats, I think he has, and you just do the eye test. I think he has bought in to yeah. what bonus has. And I just, I don't think that I would, I honestly towards, especially towards the end of Maurice's tenure, I wasn't a big fan of what he was doing, especially with the lineups and the, and what he had bonus has been really good about, making adjustments, trying to find things that work. Like, Shifley's been up. Like, he's not even on the first line, theoretically, anymore. He's on a different line now. Mm-hmm. So it's not even it's not even that he's just stuck with the same lines. Like, you, I don't even – I honestly think that – shout out Scott Billick and Mitchell Clinton and all the guys that post the line rushes. They probably, when Maurice was here, were probably putting those out, like, days in advance. <laughs> yeah. They were putting that on TweetDeck, putting in days in advance. Because the lineup never changed. Yeah. You didn't actually have to watch – Line rushes to even think about what the lineup was. Connor Shifley Wheeler, book it. Yeah, every single yeah. time. <laughs> every every game from what year did Maurice? Twenty fifteen. Yeah, uh, or he 20... came in twenty fourteen, and then yeah, uh, I think first full season was twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah, so from fourteen around fourteen and fifteen all the way until twenty one. But the I... lines were basically the same. Oh, but oh wait, but unless we traded for Paul Stastny for the seventh time or a third line center, slot or... him back in on second line center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I will say this though. Um, early on, especially the first few years that he was there, based on the team that he had, he was a great coach for that team. Mm-hmm. Um, especially you know the 2015, uh, you know, run to the playoffs. I'm not going to say in the playoffs because they went out four straight to the Ducks, but it was one of those teams where I saw I can't I. For the life of me, I can't remember who said this. Um, the 2017-18 Jets were really good, um, and it you could see that. The 2015 Jets just sort of had it. There was no other yeah. explanation other than yeah. that. Like there was, it was vibes, but in a different way. Yeah. But with with that, I I'm firmly of the belief that all coaches have a shelf life. Uh, he hit his um, with us. I probably I'd say there was that point in January in 2019 where mm. something flipped in that uh, on that team there, and it was so noticeable that something just wasn't right. And from that point forward, it felt like a losing battle. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Paul, we won this one. <laughs> yeah, and you know our perception of him is kind of skewed because of how it ended, like the last year and a half. Uh, two years of his tenure was not great but another thing is Shifley's comments after this game kind of provided me with clarity to his infamous uh, end of year presser last year where he said well I need to reevaluate some things and if things don't change around here then I'll have to change some things about what I'm doing and basically he ever (laughs) reevaluate yeah and basically what he's saying there is if the coach is the same if we don't bring in a good coach aka Rick Bonus or a player's coach or someone who cares about my game I'm not going to come back and that's that's what they did, and clearly, we'll get into Shifley later, but clearly that that is working. Yeah, just one last thing on that. Um, there was a thing that really struck me after Bonus was hired, where I think it was Shifley actually said that Bones called him right in the off season, and he said, "Oh, a coach has never done that for me before." What coach doesn't yeah. talk to their players in the off season? <sighs> never mind the top line center. Yeah, so for like a decade uh, for this team. He's playing with uh, you know, a fire right now and it's it's working. Yeah. But yeah, as uh, <laughs> as Connor said, well, we have a bit more on Shifley later just because of how hot he started, but um considering these games happened a week ago, uh I'm going to move through to our little two game back-to-back against uh, the Blues and the Blackhawks. 
uh, two really good games. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, Riddick got the second one. It's always nice to see him get a win. It seems like the Jets are really limiting shots when he's in this year. Like, Riddick, it feels like, I, I don't have the stats to back this up, but it feels like every time Riddick plays, the Jets have let up no more than 25 shots. Yeah. And he he's, he's only asked to make three or four big saves throughout the game, so that was nice. Uh, the win against the Blues was really impressive. Uh, it's always nice to see the Blues lose. Uh, they are not my favorite team. I'll just say that. You but are memeing hard on the account. Yes. You are just thriving on their <laughs> downfall, and I love it. I do not like the Blues. What can I say? Uh, that was that was a fun game to watch, and then the Blackhawks came, obviously. Chicago's bad. We've been over this. The Jets have beat them already this year. They're just... You got to beat Chicago. Yeah. In terms of Riddick, my thought is, are they more worried about having to let... Like, in terms of, if you look at Hellebuck... There are some times where kind of guys just go, nah. Like I can kind of tell where they're like, nah, hello bucks in net. If I make a mistake, like nine he's times out of ten, eight, yeah. eight times out of ten, he's gonna make a save. Right? Is that them wor- being using more energy defensively because they're worried that oh god, Riddick's in. I can't really allow some of the stuff I normally allow because he's probably not gonna make the save. He's not as like not to knock David Riddick. He's a he's a backup goaltender. Yeah. But he's not obviously he's not Vesna but Connor Hellebuck. I don't think. I, I agree with you that I think something changes. I don't know if it's like effort levels, but I'd say it's more like schematics. Like they're more, uh, like they're covering the crease more. They're packing the house more when Riddick's in it as opposed to when Hellbuck's in it. They're more prone to like taking chances. And I don't know. Under bonuses system, they don't seem to really be flying the zone that much. But under, like with when Riddick's in net, I think they're really packing it in and making sure that there's no high danger shots. Well, the thing with that I've noticed, and once again, I don't have anything other than my eyes to back this up, which I kind of want to check this out. It feels as if they do a better job um, clearing in front of him so he can see things. Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like with Hellebuck, they just kind of say, well, you're good. We'll, we'll, just do, we'll do our best, but if you can't see, you're, you're probably going to make the save. Uh, I don't think they... Uh, I mean, obviously, they don't want to take that chance with, uh, right. with Riddick, but... I think with that is just a lot of we want to make sure that we give him the best chance to you know provide some value on this team because you can't play Hellebuck 82 games of the season. So you want him to be a guy that even if he gives up a couple, you get a fighting chance to win those games because you can't lose every game that you, you put your backup in. Right, and it's impressive, even more impressive to do stuff like that on the second night of a back-to-back when you're yeah. even more detailed in boxing out and... Uh, giving your goalie even more of a chance to succeed on the second night is even more impressive in my eyes. Uh, and then they come back home and, oh. to quote Paul Maurice, the first game back from a long, or not, I guess not a long road trip, two-game road trip, but first home game back from a road trip was always a, a letdown spot. Yeah, um, roll back into uh, Canada Life Center, lose 5-2 to the Capitals in just a mm-hmm. miserable game. Yeah. Uh, we all know how hurt the Capitals are. Yep. They're... The most injured team in the NHL. Uh, Ovechkin is still doing his thing. Obviously, he hit 800 the other day, but that was a rough game. I I really did not like how they, like we talked about how well they did with Riddick in net. Yep. I feel like they gave up the middle of the ice way too easy. Uh, Charlie Lindgren, I, I, people on Twitter were going crazy saying like, oh, who is Charlie Lindgren? Why is he making all these saves? I really don't think the Jets threatened Lindgren that no. often. Like, they didn't have enough chances where I was like, holy, they're getting goalied. Like, it was a pretty even game. Maybe maybe he made a few saves here and there, but 
I just don't I, like when you have a backup goalie and it's the opposite of David Riddick. You got to challenge him more as opposed to when we packed the house for Riddick. Or... Well, the team didn't show up until the start of the third. Right. Like they got a couple quick ones there, um, but up until that point, very yeah. similar to the Anaheim game. Yeah. Of a week ago, where they don't show up and then they score five unanswered or whatever. But this, this game, a, they only did two. This is but... the difference between the Ducks and a better team, where yeah. teams ad- adapt when you they notice that you know better teams are coming at you. Exactly. Uh, they did, and boy, <laughs> that was not fun. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you, actually, Connor. I think that we, I, I so I was at this game. This mm. is the only game that I will admit that I watched. Yeah, I got live <laughs> eyes. This is the only game that I actually like watched. Was able to watch in full. That second period, I will confidently say, was the worst period the Jets have played all year. Yeah, and that was as much bad. as I want to blame the refs, and I know many fans will. I heard a lot of them, <laughs> especially my section. Oh, that's that's all the chatter was. Yeah, you can't blame the refs when you're playing bad. Yeah, I will I will say that the Caps were the better team in that game. I don't think it was as even as it looked. Mm-hmm. It looks more even because of the third period, but they didn't really generate much in the first. That second was the worst they've had all year, and then the third they were kind of teetering on. Okay, this is better, but like you're not gonna you're not gonna score when you like you said, like Connor said, and kind of what Brian mentioned or at least second-hand, like, motioned. I mean, we didn't really generate much yeah. in terms of, like, the ch- the high danger. Like, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, okay, we don't really have any high danger chances going on here. Yeah. It's like, okay, a shot, save. Yeah. Oh, no, nobody's in front. Like, there were a couple times where, like, like there was once or twice, I think, in the first period where we got a tip or mm. there was some, somebody got in front. But, like... Someone like an Adam Lowry needs to be in front of the net all the time. Mm-hmm. We we're, we're not getting bodies at least in front. If we're gonna continuously shoot from the point, please at least put at least one person in front of the net trying to screen the goalie. Don't let, especially if like like you said, if Twitter is going crazy about Charlie Lindgren, well, of course he's gonna look like a great goalie because all he has to do is square up to the puck, yeah, and track it and be fine. He doesn't have to worry about a variable of somebody in front and. You talk about the fans complaining about the refs. Everyone's guilty of that. I I was probably doing that during the Capitals game too. But when you look back on it, who's to say the Jets are going to score on their power plays? The power play has been really bad lately. Yep. So, you, yeah, you, you can call that hold on Dubois with three minutes left, and then you just kill two minutes because the Jets aren't going to score because their power play is not it right now, and that's going to be that. So you just have to be the better team at five on five, especially when your power play is struggling as much as them. Uh, and they weren't. That second period was very hard to watch. They had, like, one shot with five minutes left. I know there was penalties and stuff, but, yeah, one of the worst periods of the year for sure. Then they roll in, or they they roll into another game here where Vegas, there's a big narrative around it. You've got top team in the Pacific, top team in the Central, slated to be a really good game, and there were components of it that were phenomenal, but it was one of those games where one team was just capitalizing on their scoring chances more than the other and that led to a 6-5 loss for the Jets um in the loss though hat trick Mark Shifley would you look at that yeah he kept scoring goals that's what he does um this this game was tough because like I said earlier no Eichel no Petrangelo uh no Logan Thompson he's not hurt but they played their backup Aiden Hill this is a game that you have to win you're at home I know Vegas is good uh that penalty with three minutes left uh, by Pionk really, really stings. Not good. Not good at all. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, there was good things in this game. 
the offense is an encouraging sight. Uh, but yeah, that that goal with two minutes left, March or so, that 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 stings. I don't really have much to say other than you gotta win games. You gotta clean up games and win them. Yeah. You can't let you Home can't games let games like against, that. Yeah. yeah, you can't let games like that get away from you. Yeah, yeah. There's not really much else to say. I mean, this this game was a shootout. Uh, bonuses systems in the past have generally been geared towards shutting things down and playing low event. So when the Jets get out of that and they're in a six-five game, they might not be on the right side of that too often, but. This is a game like this is a backup goalie, and you're at home, and they're missing their two best players. You got to win that one. Well, that's also the thing too, where it's like, typically, if they're getting, you know, five on us, I don't like our chances because yeah. uh, if you're playing against a good team, chances are it's going to be Hellebuck. Yeah. <laughs> and if Hellebuck's allowed five, uh, I'm not confident in the fact that you'd be able to uh, actually, you know, finish that up. Yeah. But no, it's. Uh, it was the Shifley game in a loss. And with him doing so much and them losing, it's it's a good sign, but it's also you need other guys to step up in these type of games because if you need the big goal to... Because you know, I think it was 4-4 with, what, three as you said, three minutes left? Yeah. Um, if, if you want guys to step up, you need someone other than Shifley because, you know... The, the goal scoring has to come from other places at, at, at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and forward depth is going to be an issue with Appleton and Ehlers out. That's going to happen. And when you score five goals at home, you really hope to win that game. Yeah. I mean, there's not much else. And I, I talked earlier about how the, the Jets, they're turning into where unless they play Boston, New Jersey, teams like that, they're always going to be like viewed as a team that's in it. And yep. you should win home games against Washington and Vegas with all their injuries. Uh, and then they get locked into a a close game against the Predators. They played really well. We'll get into that in a second. But these are three teams that you have to beat. And it's the NHL. You're going to lose weird games. But I don't know. They they UC Soros kept the Predators in that game 100%. The Jets, the deserved win meter on Money Puck was like 90% for most of the game. But uh, yeah. They, was, they finally won. Cal Connor in overtime. Yeah, um, just a really exciting finish to a, a game that was quite frustrating. Connor had eleven shots by the end of it, ten yeah. before his overtime winner. Uh, just uh, there was a lot of good things that they did um, that game. It was just they got goalied, and it's very nice though because in the past we've been goalied a lot and we lose. Yeah. Uh, this it felt nice to actually be goalied and still win. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. Nice little cap off to uh, the homestand there um, before we head out on the road. Uh, speaking of heading out on the road, Elliot's on his way. Elliot's on his way. Yep. <laughs> I got to head out. I will say, though, um, topics coming up going to be really good. You're going to hear some great comments from these two. Uh, they'll get into Schmidt. They'll get into AC Mart running up and down the lineup. And they'll talk about the Andrew Cop trade. Yeah. Just a, little, just a little revisit. See Lost how everyone's checking in. Yeah. All right. See you, Elliot. Hey there! While we have you here, why don't we talk about our social media links? We're on everything Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can find us all at Level Flight Winnipeg, Level Flight WPG. That's Level Flight WPG on all of our platforms. So give us a follow. We like to have fun. Now back to the show.
Speaking of the the win over the Predators, what did you think of that hit on Nate Schmidt that forced him to leave the game uh, early in the first? Uh, I've been back and forth on it um, because my first instinct was that's a that's a headshot. It's predatory. Don't like that from Tanner Janot. <laughs> nice predatory. Nice. That, that had was, to have been, that, that had was to totally have been intentional. intentional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was definitely intentional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I uh, I was back and forth on it, and I've been watching it, you know, a few times. I do think there's head contact. I think a lot of that, though, is because of uh, last minute trying to avoid the check. Um, I probably would have been more on the side of it being dirty if both Lowry and Bonus didn't come out and say it's it's a hockey play. Yeah. Like, if they're viewing it like that, um, typically, we as we've seen in the past, if a, if even if it's borderline, the coaches, the players will come out and say that's garbage, there should have been a penalty. Right. Um, they didn't seem... The only thing they were concerned with was... Uh, Schmidt's health um, which we all should be because yeah. he's been really good this year and also he's the team leader in vibes per 60 yes, the man he's just is one of just the most genuine people ever box yeah. energy just like yeah. really really good um, what, do you, what do you do you agree with me there I okay so when I first saw it like yourself I thought headshot immediately but then he labored off the ice kind of holding his shoulder so then we, well, the rest of the game had to play out, so we were kind of in the dark for two hours. He got ruled out immediately for the rest of the game. Uh, and then after the game, Bonus said that Schmidt entered concussion protocol. I don't know if he's still in concussion protocol. I don't know if he passed. I just know that he entered it, which would lead me to believe that it's a headshot. So I don't know. I When you slow it down, now this is this is the caveat, because a lot of hits when you slow them down look really bad, but... When you slow it down, the puck is way gone, the hit is high, and it looks late. Now, Schmidt rims the puck around the boards, and the puck is basically at the blue line while Janot is hitting him in the corner uh, What for a hit that I would say is p- too high. Uh, I don't know. I, I get, like, it's bonus and Larry can say it's a hockey play, but I just... I don't like hits that are half a second late and high. Uh, if that hit is just clean into the shoulder, great. Which I thought, when I immediately thought it was a headshot, and then I saw him laboring off on the shoulder, I thought, okay, that's okay. Because if you just hit him in the shoulder and it's a stinger, maybe he sprained an AC joint, I don't know, that's fine. It's a clean hit to the shoulder. Maybe it's a half second late. That happens. But if it's to the head and he entered concussion protocol, then I don't like it. Yeah, I mean... I'm, I pulled it up here, and I'm looking at it as you were talking. Um, the more I look at it, the more I'm... It feels more like incidental contact to the head. I do still think it was interference. Because mm-hmm. um, also, Schmidt already had a guy on him. Exactly, That's the yeah. thing. So he's vulnerable because he has nowhere to move. Yeah. So if anything, I think it's an interference penalty. Um, I'm just not 100% sure if it was a direct headshot. Um, right. That being said, uh, shout out to Adam Lowry for answering the bell again. Yeah, he always seems yeah. to be the one who's just willing to go at someone because you know he's protecting his his teammates. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I it's I'm on the fence, but I, the real important thing here is hoping that Schmidty's okay. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been good in the, sort of the heartbeat of the team too. Yeah, um, it was announced this morning that so he was placed on injured reserve, which having that happen so quickly, I know, concerning. That's very concerning because if he if this is a stinger 
and he's gonna be okay in like they play two games over the weekend here. If he like was gonna skate today, or he'll he be like always day to day. Yeah, then they weren't gonna place him on IR right away. But Less them than placing him on IR, later. yeah, this morning, yeah. the day after the game, that's that's not a good sign. Um, that's the thing too. So with him being on IR, I'm, in, I'm anticipating because they're flying out to Vancouver right now. Right. Um, either today if they have a media availability or tomorrow at skate. Um, I'm going to say that we probably get a little bit more of information because I, I, I'd hope I, I, at this point, I'm assuming that most people who are going to be asking the questions are going to be asking, Oh, is it a concussion? Yeah. Uh, is it something else? So you, even if they don't tell you definitively, um, you can kind of get the vibe based on, uh, you know, how things are and, in how the NHL is going now, you kind of hear a little bit more if it is a concussion rather than other things. Right. Like, if it's just an upper body injury, I'm almost willing to say that it's not a concussion. Yeah, it might be. I mean, it could be anything from his shoulder to neck to concussion. Exactly. So I hope we get some more clarity because if it's a concussion, that's obviously m- a lot more scary than if he just sprained his shoulder. Yeah, and uh, the coinciding move with the injured reserve... Vili Hainala on his way back up, um, which the injuries to Stanley lead me to believe that this might be the opportunity for him to actually step in and carve out a role. Right. Um, it sucks because it's because Schmidt is out. Right. This is not the situation you want. Um, but it's one of those situations where, you know, this is a conversation I get into a lot where he needs to show that he belongs. And I agree with that. I think this is his opportunity to do so if he gets the the playing time because Capo Bianco's still sitting around too, eh? He is, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that if Capo gets into a game beforehand. Um, we'll see how that goes, and then if it leads to maybe Hanela getting some games. Um, but I, I do think this is a really defining moment in his young NHL career. Mm-hmm. After all this conversation about him, after all of the talk uh, and his, you know, his desire to play, his, the, the article that came out. Right. I think that if he really, really wants to be an NHL regular, um, his chance to prove to the coaching staff that he deserves to be in that conversation, I think, is now. Especially if you're putting Schmidt on IR, he's not back for at least a, a week or so, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, so he's going to get in a good chunk of games here. Which I, I've always said that that's the thing for Hanala is he needs to play consistently. Right. If you've watched his his games, when he plays more than a game or two in a row, he gets better each game. Yes. Um, And I think a lot of that, too, was in the past. Part of the issue was he was in the press box and he wasn't playing at all. So that right. curve is probably going to be a little bit less because he's been playing consistently for the Moose. The issue, though, is if he comes up and doesn't start playing you want to make sure that he gets in fairly quickly so he doesn't you know, lose a bit of his groove there. Right, and he's already missed the last four games with the Moose due to being sick. Uh, so I would really hope that they put him in right away because having him miss games in the AHL, just to call him up, to sit him in the press box for another week, he will have not played for almost two weeks, and then he'll get thrown in against a really good four-checking team, and he'll look bad, and everyone will be like, well, this guy's a bust. Well, he's been sitting for two weeks, and he gets thrown in against a bad team. This is the Vili Hanala cycle. This is how this is going to work because he's not going to play against Vancouver or Seattle. And then he's going to get put in against Ottawa and he's going to get shelled and he will have not played for two weeks. But then the next game, like you said, he'll be better and then better and then better. And yeah, it's 
it sucks that it had to happen this way with a defenseman going down. But Hanel has always kind of been, in my eyes, and I think the organization's eyes, the Schmidt replacement. Like, Schmidt's contract is up in two years. He's a lefty shot that can play the right side, offensive defenseman, transition guy. If Hanela doesn't take that role over, if they give that to Cavabianco, the right side, third pairing, offensive, power play two role, I don't know what we're doing with Vili Hanela because that is the role that is carved out for him right now. Yeah. And that is the perfect role for him at the current stage of his development. And I, I think the reason he's not playing, obviously they have faith in the current defense core, but they've been waiting for Schmidt's contract to be up. And then Hanela will take that over, and yeah. Schmidt will presumably walk or stay on a cheaper deal, and Hanela will move into the top four when he's 24 years old or whatever. But now that Schmidt is out right now, it's like you said, Hanela's time to really show that he's able to do that. He's, he's able that to replace guy. that, yeah, replace that production, replace the transition game, the power play too. And uh, I'm assuming he'll be with Sandberg, which I really like. Yeah, we talked a few weeks ago. They had a game or two together. Elliot and I talked about it. Uh, they have familiarity with the Moose. They are really good together. They communicate really well. They, um, they're they really good. So I, I just hope that that's the pairing and that's the role for Hanela, and I hope he thrives. Well, I also think, too, like, because Schmidt plays such a heavy role on the second unit. Right. Um, because as much as this sucks, and you've talked about this all year, Schmidt's the shooter on yeah. that, that unit. Yeah. Um, having a guy like Hanela who knows when to shoot rather than just being the shooter might help it at least open some things up for the guys that are trying to make that unit thrive um i i do think that he'll get some games on that unit especially because they're pretty you know consistent with running two defensemen on that unit right i'd prefer i know in the they're past, very consistent with it brendan Dillon was running uh power play time against nashville that's what i was just gonna say i hope that they put hanela in there rather than putting Dillon in Right. Because that's Hanela's thing. Yes. He is a power play guy. I don't want to get your hopes up too much, but Hanela and Perfetti on the same unit. Don't say that to me. <laughs> don't yeah. don't say that to me. I, I, I'm not willing to get my hopes up until I see things. And also I yeah. I'd like to actually see them you know, develop some chemistry together too, because like that we haven't really had that chance. No. Um and I think what's what's interesting as well is I think Villy knows where he's at right now i don't know if everyone's sold on that mm -hmm. and it's really this is a bet on yourself moment yeah and you really you gotta you gotta do it and uh yeah i i, I mean i actually i forgot it's a back-to-back -back this week yes so we might see him in seattle unless if he doesn't come right in they should because i don't know how healthy he is with he's been sick with the moose yeah. like i said but if he's good, he's got to play one of these games because, again, you can't have him sitting for then a week and a half. So, so Capobianco hasn't been in game action in, what, two weeks? Right. So, Give them both a game. Um, like, yeah, that's the thing, what too. What a back-to-back -back is even, for. Even with him being out, uh, he still played more recently than Capobianco. Yeah. So you want to play a guy who's not cold, even though Bonus has said that he likes to get guys in to make sure that they're um, you know, not you know, just sitting for too long, which I, I guess thing only helps Taylor's case. He likes to get guys in until it's a guy coming off a foot injury for a month, and it's a back to back, and he leaves him in, aka Logan Stanley. That bugged me. I forgot to bring this up when we talked about it, but why was he playing the second night of a back to back? He just came off of a month long recovery for a foot injury. Yeah, 
And Capo Bianco, like you said, hasn't played in two weeks. Yeah. Switch it up. It's also, I've actually, I've been a very big Stanley critic. Yeah. As we've made clear. I thought he actually looked quite good in yes. that game uh, against And he looked St. good Louis. before he got hurt, too. Yeah, I, I something was working. Yeah. Um, it was nice. But I honestly think that him getting back into a back-to-back maybe forced him to, you know, he was a little bit behind on a play or something, and he's trying to get himself into a position, which led to him. I I don't know what it is. It looked bad. Whatever it was, it was either his ankle or his knee or something. Yeah. Uh, it's not supposed to bend that way. No. Um, I can't believe he even came back to the bench. Do you see that? Where that that was ridiculous yeah. to me too. Like yeah. it, also, if you're the team in that situation too, rule him out for the rest of the game. Out. Like just yeah, yeah call it. Because that's the thing too. Because not only that that trip we lost Manalainen. Right. So yep. another forward down, which only helps the case of uh, look to add. Yeah, um, no kidding. But, yeah, so... I just needed to... I forgot to say that earlier, but that was ridiculous to me. It but was. Now, again, injuries, I guess this is why you keep this many defensemen around. Hainel is finally going to get his chance, and hopefully he thrives in that role. Exactly, yeah. And that's the thing, too. They're getting hit with injuries all over the place now, too. Mm which has forced guys into different roles that maybe they weren't, you know, expecting. Um, perhaps none other than Michael Asimont. Yeah. Which, Michael, I found. Yes. Uh, he has recently <laughs> uh, clarified that he wishes to be called Michael, and he is also uh, New Mexico's favorite player. <laughs> Apparently. Don't understand it. I don't um, either. <laughs> he's not from there. No. Uh, um, that's what I thought. Maybe, like, he was from there, and family and friends are just checking up on him. No. Just, no, just for whatever reason. He's just... Yeah, the he's most popular he's hockey from player. Colorado, so I guess it's bordering, but I guess. Uh yeah. Uh you know, good for him. <laughs> good for him. Yeah. What are you even supposed to say to that? Congrats to Michael Isamont. Yeah, I'd like to formally congratulate <laughs> yeah. uh Michael Isamont for being uh New New Mexico's number one favorite player. <laughs> uh the plaque is in the mail. Yeah. Got a lot of Jets fans in New Mexico. I often uh, refer to New Mexico as, you know, Winnipeg's second home. So <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> no, yeah, but Winnipeg South. Yeah, Winnipeg South. No, but seriously, uh he's been good on that second line. They went away from it in the in the Nashville game. They Gagne, who was scratched two weeks ago, is now back, finds himself in the top six. But they last year Sveshnikov was the the guy on besides uh or beside Connor Dubois as kind of the four checking create space guy to let those two do their work. They are do, going for the same thing with Isimont, and it was working there. It was up and down. It was working this game. wasn't working this game. It always seems like that line is pretty inconsistent. Like, they'll have really good games, like the Nashville one where Dubois looks amazing, and yeah. then they'll have bad games like the Golden Knights one where they're just getting shelled and they are not creating anything. Uh, so I don't even know if it really matters who's on that second line right wing, but Isimont's been great, and... With Ehlers and Appleton out, uh, you can expect the Jets to have some letdown games, especially now Schmidt is out, Stanley's out. When a team suffers this much injuries, uh, yeah, they're, they've won 18 games, 19 games, but yeah, you can expect some games coming up here where they'll lose to a team where they shouldn't. You know, uh, Vancouver and Seattle this weekend, those are two teams that they should beat. They, I think they might lose to one of them because... Even the best teams in the league can't overcome this many injuries. Look at Colorado, right? Yeah. They're suffering a million injuries. and they're, They've dropped out of the playoff spots. Yeah, exactly. So I really hope they can keep up this magic of 
fighting through injuries, and Icymont's been a big part of that, filling yeah. in for Ehlers. But I'm expecting a few games coming up here where they're going to lose to an inferior team because Schmidt, Ehlers, Appleton, these are three contributors that are every every night guys that yeah. are not playing anymore. I think it's impressive that a guy who had never really stepped into an NHL role um, has come in and been a really good contributor um, yeah. maybe not as much on the on the score sheet, but what he's doing, um, you know, on the underlying numbers is terrific. And every time someone in my Twitter mentions uh, talks about how, oh, it's just the AHL, I don't want to hear it. Because no. Iceman was at a point of game in the AHL, and now he fought his way to the top six in the NHL? Give me a break. Well, I'm, I'm looking like, at this, at uh, that line with Connor Dubois and Iceman, uh for all of the Jets lines that have 60 minutes, yeah. um, that line is leading with a 56.9% expected goals. Um, individually, um, he's currently sitting at a an on ice expected goals of 57.4. Like, so that's great. it's not it's not <laughs> out of the question that he's really um, you know just performing to the level of his teammates. He's also I talked about this really early on in the season. I put out an article uh, as well where he was one of those guys that I could see getting a call-up just because he works his ass off. Like, he's the yeah. hardest-working dude you will ever see. Yeah. I wrote about Isimont and Harkins basically going off in the AHL. Harkins was scoring a goal a game. Isimont was getting a point a game. And people just wrote it off. Like, oh, yeah, well, Jansen Harkins is just a good AHLer. That's what he is. And then he comes to the NHL and looks the best he's ever been in his career. So, you know, I don't know if there's an overarching takeaway from something like that, but... When players are playing good in the AHL, more often than not, some part of their game will translate to the NHL. Yep. And Icymont, in his case, is, yeah, he works his butt off. And he forechecks hard. And he creates space for players that isn't there. Kind of like Dubois, but at a more minuscule level. But And he doesn't take penalties. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, he actually draws a lot. There's a lot of time. Well, he, he falls a lot, I'd say. Like, when he's, he, like he's battling. And yeah. then he'll go to get out of the battle, and he'll he goes, fall. He and goes down like, at the right time. It looks like a penalty every single time. And this is after he got his head dribbled like a basketball <laughs> by yeah. by Jack Johnson in that Chicago game. Yeah. Um, no, but he's just he's he's gonna get in there. Um, I'm just quickly circling back on the stats here because I know that obviously the underlying numbers say one thing, and sometimes the on ice stuff says mm -hmm. otherwise. Um, that line actually. Uh, they haven't been together as long as some of the other ones, so it's you can't do exact, uh, you know, comparisons. Mm. Um, they're they have six goals for and only one against, yeah, uh, which has them sitting at a five point eight six goals per sixty, which also ranks first on the team. So that's the actual stuff that's happening. Yes, it's not the uh, you know what should be happening, um, because there's been a Those lot are the of the actual numbers. Yeah. The actual mm -hmm. numbers at what they're doing, um, and it's just. You, you love to see it because, you know, I saw a lot of Ace Mont, uh last year. Mm -hmm. I watched a lot of his games, and he was just one of those guys that stood out on every time he was on the ice yeah. just because you could see how hard he was working. Um, I kind of thought of him as a as a Brandon Tanev who has a better offensive in instinct. Yeah. Where he just he throws himself into the corner with no <laughs> yeah. regard for his physical safety. Yeah. But the difference between him and Tanev is he is – uh, he seems to have a bit more of a, a hockey IQ in terms of his offensive game. Yeah. Um, so I think that's also why Bonus likes him so much is because 
I think that Rick Bonus would have loved Brandon Tanner. Yes, yeah. Because uh, he likes guys who are fast, they forecheck, and if they can score, <laughs> uh, if they can score, great. If not, as long as you can do the other stuff well, you, you're, you'll be fine. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. Simont, he's been impressive. Uh, obviously, he's going to be someone who suffers the the most as in terms of what happens when Ehlers comes back. Right. Which, uh, he's skating. He is. Did not anticipate that. No. Um, it's giving me uh, immense feelings because he's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, he's my favorite player. Uh, he's many people's favorite players. Yes. He's also been regularly one of the best, if not the best, player on the Jets yeah. for the last several years. Yeah. Um, which is why, uh, much to my surprise, um, the other day came across someone saying that you know because they're winning without him, maybe it's time that we consider trading him. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, <laughs> definitively. Uh, don't think it's that hot of a take. You don't trade someone who's been regularly one of your best players and one of the better wingers in the NHL. You don't yeah. do it. I don't care if you're winning without. What happened? The the Jets have won without Shifley. They have won without Wheeler. Where's the conversation? Yeah, exactly. And maybe this is more of a rant than a discussion. <laughs> um, but I, I the biggest thing that people seem to bring up in this conversation. And a lot of the times it's in, in good faith and it's just like, okay, well, what about this? It's his ice time and his, uh, his missing of games recently. Um, I actually, because I uh, really am caring about this subject, <laughs> um, I went through and I looked at uh, the amount of games he's played versus the amount of team games there was. So in this, in, since he came into the league in 2015, uh, he has played 85% of the team's games. And it's a recency thing where at the end of last season, he was out. And at the beginning of the season, he was out. Uh, if he played the first little bit of the season, he'd be pushing 90%. Do you know who else is pushing 90% of games played since 2015? Mark Shifley. Yeah. Uh, he's only played eight more games in the same amount of time than Ehlers has. Like, it's it's recency. Just it because he's been hurt recently does not mean he's an injury-prone player. You can't, like, his injury last season was a knee-on-knee. -on -knee. Can't yeah. blame him on that. No, you can't really... You also can't blame him for getting a sports hernia. Yeah. That just happens sometimes. And it always seems like the smaller players are the ones that are labeled injury-prone. Like when Perfetti hurt his shoulder last year, people were like, oh, better watch out because, you know, he's small. Well, Logan Stanley has played like three games this year, and he's been out twice. So it's injuries are fluky. This is the whole thing. Like, you can't quantify whether or not a player is going to get hurt at the start of the year. Like you said, Shifley gets hurt just as much as Ehlers. It's very much recency bias to say he's yeah. injury-prone because he's really not. And he's not injury-prone just because he's 5'11 or 5'10 or whatever. Yeah. Um, he's just as injury-prone as Shifley, who's 6'1 and 200 pounds. So I I really don't like it. There's, it's only a small portion of Jets fans who think that way, that they should. they're winning without him, so they should trade him. That's the thing, yeah. It's a very, very small group. But it still needs to be addressed that it's not smart. Well, because it was <laughs> everywhere on Jets Twitter there for yeah. a few days, and yeah. I didn't anticipate having that discussion yet again. Um, I woke up and I was like, oh, here we go again. Well, that's the thing, too, because <laughs> you have to consider him as when he comes back, he is going to be the equivalent of a deadline acquisition. Yes. Um, that's also not saying that we should not go out and get another forward, because even with that, imagine running three lines that can you know, hold their own and occasionally put the puck in the net rather than two lines with a guy who's missed half the year. Yeah. 
um, and forcing him to carry the load when he's coming back from hernia surgery. And to further that, I am a big believer that Hellbuck's style of play is a reason that he'll be able to play uh, deep into his career and be effective. Yeah. But how many more seasons like this are we going to get out of him to the point where he can win win the Stanley Cup this year for a team? He's playing at that level. Exactly. So if you go all in, you might not, like, 29 years old, 30 years old, he might fall off a cliff. You don't know. Like, players, players uh, at the back half of their career just play worse. It's a fact. And he's in his prime. He's playing better than his Vesna season right now, and yep. you have to take advantage of that. He's also a goalie, and if anything, goalies, goalies are, are weird. They're voodoo. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's also goalies can get hurt really easily. Yes, um, someone can fall on them. They can stretch weirdly. Yeah, um, with how they play, suddenly a guy who's dominating can get hurt, and then. Suddenly, he's just not at that level anymore. Right. You cannot take that risk if you're the Jets, and you have to actually acknowledge the fact that oh, this guy can this, he can steal some stuff for us. Why don't we make it less likely for him to steal and more likely for us to actually win the games ourselves? Right. I think that they are a a, a good forward. Let me say that, not just a forward, because we don't need to. We just added Carson Coolman. That he's not going to push us over the edge. Right. Um, Maybe. Maybe. You never know. <laughs> right now. Um. But I think we need a good forward. Uh, in terms of just adding that level of depth scoring that we can, you know, those games like against Vegas. Right. We can be the one getting to six goals before they are. Yeah. So it's just a matter of we need to try and surround him with as much talent as possible because if we don't win with him, it's a failure. Yes. That is a absolutely. massive failure on the organization. They had their shot in 2017-18, uh, and then the last few years have been beyond disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people blame, you know, you know, departures on defense and departures, uh, you know, throughout the, uh, the rest of the organization. And at this point, I, I honestly think that that has to be, you know, shouldered by management. Yeah. Why do they not go out and do more? So if you just buy in, yeah, you, you have the best goalie in the world. Yeah. And you're not, you know, going all in at all. And you haven't been at that level of Stanley Cup contender since 2018. Uh when are you going to do it? Because if not, you're wasting the best years of Hellebuck. Right. And at some point or another, he won't be playing as uh, good as he is now. And then you'll be sitting middle ground, not committing to winning or losing. Yeah, we'll definitely get more into those are all great points. And we'll get more into like the trade deadline stuff. Hopefully they make a move when when Elos comes back, they reevaluate and hopefully they go all in at the deadline. But I also think to tie this into our next topic, we talked about Icymont. There are forwards that, even when you buy in, they've proved that they can carry a third line or a fourth line and be really effective in those minutes. Morgan Barron is one of those guys for me that we're going to revisit the Andrew Kopp trade here because it's looking to be a very one-sided trade for the Jets. But Barron's been good. He has, where are his stats here? He's got nine points in 19 games. He seems to be doing really well with Lowry. They tried him in the top six there for a couple games, but he really likes to dump the puck in, I've noticed. Yep. Aaron and Lowry thrives off that, you know, all the, the cycle game, the four-check game. Him being with Lowry and them dumping the puck in and chasing it and wearing the defense down, that is what he's supposed to do, and I think he's been great. But we can we can talk about that cop trade, but I just think Barron has been, has been one of the better depth forwards because there's a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> and made me look dumb for saying that perhaps uh, he might be the, the person to uh, – 
gets sent down because you know he was coming back from injury. His first game, he uh, immediately was you know demoted down to third, fourth line. Uh, prove me wrong. I'm I like being wrong in this sort of situation <laughs> because the Jets need this. Yeah, uh, they need someone who can you know actually play a role. Like he's never gonna you know put up points to you know rival anyone in the top six. He's he's not a scorer, but he's doing his part. Um, he's converting on the chances when he can. Like, like that's the thing. Like, he's not going to be the guy who's going to generate a ton. That that entire bottom six does not generate a lot. But no. that's not their that's not their job. No. Bonus hockey is if you're not the one scoring, be responsible, and you know do your job. You forecheck. You play fast. You make sure that the other team you know isn't actually generating a lot. Um, I looked uh, at last night's uh, game and essentially that they were being the matchup line uh yeah and they just snuffed out anything that nashville tried to get going and it was great yeah i mean that's been their job kind of it, it depends on the game because against like colorado that five nothing win a, a few weeks ago they were the matchup line against mckinnon yeah uh, but then there are games where it just doesn't seem like uh they're really shutting down the other team's top line they're hit or miss in that category like more often not more often than not they hit on that yeah. and shut the other team down but like you said, that's their job. That's all they're supposed to do is play defense. And if you can chip in offensively, which Barron has, nine points in 19 games for a bottom six third-line player who's supposed to be playing defense, that's great. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing, too, where it's if you convert more than what you're expected to, it's a win. Absolutely. Um, no one was expecting him to be the guy in the top six when they moved him up, and I think they kind of proved that. Yeah. But I don't think they're disappointed in the fact that he's on the – the third line right now. Like no. that's I mean, you early on was like he is the third line guy. Yeah, they've they've been wanting him to be the third line guy because when we were at training camp and he missed the first week with an upper body injury or the first week in a bit, they he came back for one preseason game and immediately was put next to Lowry. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, they really want this to be a thing because it was a thing last year for a bit. And then they sent him down to the AHL for uh, the Calder run by the Moose, but they really wanted him to do that, and it's it's a nice thing to see him thriving because there would be a big hole on that third line and on right wing, left wing and right wing. There'd be a big winger gap if Barron was not stepping up. Well, it's also the thing too. He's definitely benefiting from Lowry looking like Adam Lowry again. Yeah. Um, and also, I just check this out here because he he scores you know enough where i've taken notice um adam lowry has 19 points in 29 games this season <laughs> uh his career high is 29 yeah like he is well on pace to shatter that well you know players in their age 28 29 season you know they just that's, that's the, when they, yeah, they break that's their out peak. the yeah. aging curve is fake <laughs> You know, that's when the, they break out, you know. The aging curve is a conspiracy theory perpetrated by NHL executives. Can you imagine how good Hanalo will be at 28? Oh. Ooh. Can you imagine him at 34? Wow. He'll be so good. That's so weird, though. No one saw that coming. Like, Lowry, his whole career, has been a third-line center, fourth-line center for the for the one good run, but he's been a shutdown guy. Yep. Who expected him to have 20 points in 30 games to start the year? No one. No, no. Yeah. It was... it's. It's just incredible considering last yeah. year he topped out at 21 in 79 games. Like it's he's ridiculous. not, he's and not he's being told, Like bonus is telling the entire bottom six to be defensively responsible. 
So is he being more defensively responsible and that's somehow turning into more points? Or is he just – is it just unexplainable what he's doing offensively? I I don't know how to explain it. I think a lot of it being you know in the right place at the right time because of him being a little bit more bought into the system. Yeah. Um, like he knows where he has to be. Say that about a few players. Um, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, like he knows where he has to be, and so therefore he knows exactly where he can go without – endangering that and it's mm-hmm. putting him in good spots to you know create scoring chances he's obviously going to be that garbage goal guy like oh, he's yeah. not he's not some flashy uh only on the pk exactly That's... yeah he's uh, he <laughs> on the pk scores... he turns, turns into prime Connor mcdavid on the breakaway yeah and, scores in yeah. an elite level on the, on the penalty yeah. kill but no like he's just been he's been really impressive this year offensively which is something i was not anticipating but i'll take it yeah uh, similar to with baron like when guys are performing more than what you expect in your bottom six when you are anticipating very little offensive contributions you're going to be happy yeah that's the thing because uh you know bonus has also been vocally upset with how the fourth line has been playing mm-hmm. and he's you know, constantly tinkering with it um so if they can somehow find something like this maybe david gustafson has a few more opportunities to you know bury a few things suddenly that fourth line looks a lot more you know competent against you know other teams that you know maybe they can take advantage of the other team's fourth line right, right. yeah so yeah that's uh that bottom six there i think you mentioned it a couple weeks back they're just scoring and i don't quite I understand, don't understand it. because everything we've heard is to like there's that sacumana lining clip from training camp where bonus says i don't care about goals and assists i want you to play defense and yeah. he's basically he's definitely saying that to every player in the bottom yeah. six he's not telling adam lowry hey cheat offensively like go go, go put up a career high yeah, in points fly the zone offensively like no that their job is to play defense and f- somehow some way they're scoring they're going to need it more now uh because of all the injuries and but they're stepping up so there's no reason to think that they won't keep it up because they've been great that's the thing too and like lowry hasn't looked this sort of like adam lowry since i'd say before not last season, but the season before was with, you know, uh, he, he played with Cop for so long. Yeah. Those two had a great connection. Right. And they were often better when they were together. Like, if mm-hmm. they were separated, they both suffered for it. Yeah. And so when Cop was traded, um, you, you see maybe that this is, he needed something similar, but a player, you know, like, obviously, it's been almost a revolving door on that third line. It has, yeah. Where you've had, you know, guys like Manalina and, you know, Asimon has played some time there. Mm-hmm. You know, Baron Harkins. there, you know, Harkins. So it, it's essentially, I think Lowry has focused more on his game. Right. And everyone else around him has started focusing on their games. So when they start playing all more responsibly, more players have the ability to just sort of capitalize on that. Speaking and, of Andrew Cobb. Yeah. He, uh, he's having a, I mean, it's not a, a, a bad season by any means, but. Started out really slow, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was talking to um, uh, my friend, uh born and raised wings fan uh shout out to rebel uh he's uh he's a you know born and bred michigan sports fan mm, um nice. i say that as i'm wearing my university <laughs> of michigan hat go blue um he's he was telling me that cop is playing like a third line player right which i always was of the mindset of that's what he was i think he looked significantly better when he was traded to the Rangers because he was playing with Panarin. Yeah. Everyone's going to look better when they play with Panarin. Yeah, and Cop, he he's the kind of guy that 
he can go from the top line wing to the third line center to the third line wing. Like you can play him literally anywhere on both PK and power play. You can do he's a Swiss Army knife forward. You can do yep. whatever you want with him. And I don't know, maybe like with Panarin, he was on the wing, I believe. That line was uh Kopstrom Panarin, yeah. I believe. And they were obviously he had eight, amazing. Uh, I think 18 points in 16 games or something like that. And yeah. And then in the playoffs, yeah, he had 14 in, in 20. But he he was great, and he earned himself that big contract. And now he's playing with not Artemi Panarin, and he's playing center. Uh, I don't know how much that has to do with it because, like you said, he was effective on the wing with Lowry. I really liked Cop when he moved up in the lineup. When he, like, Cop Shifley Ehlers was a line I really liked. And that had him on the wing. I never really, we didn't get a very extended look at him at center because Lowry, Shifley, Dubois was always yeah. for the last year and a half, which is when Cop broke out. But I don't know if that changed to center. He needs time to adjust, but he has started out slow. Well, I mean, at this point now, I just checked in on what the wings are running. He was playing on the third line for a bit there. He was, yeah. They also tried him further up and he struggled. He's now centering the second line uh, with Dom Kubelik and Lucas Raymond, which if you're going to succeed, it's probably going to be with you know a guy like Raymond. Yes. Um, I mean, that team, though, it, they're hurting injury-wise as well. Yeah. They, Larkin's hurt? Yeah. Um, but you've got David Perron, Michael Rasmussen, and Oscar Sundquist on your top line. Bertuzzi, IR. Vrana, IR. Larkin, day-to-day. Zadina, IR. Yeah, it's they're, they're <laughs> feeling it right yeah. now. And it's that's the thing. Like, if there was ever a point for Cop to be like, I've been able to step in in other positions and do pretty well. Uh, let me try this. Let's do it. And if he doesn't succeed, we kind of know that a lot of his play was the benefactor of other guys. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. No. I'm saying he's a role guy. I think yeah. he's a third liner with second line upside. Yes. Um. I. And he I has, would say he's a top six, a a low level top six guy. Like a mid six. Yeah. Like a middle think, six, a good yeah. middle sixer. Yeah. Yeah, and like that's the thing too. Like I had a, a lot of talk with, uh, um, I'm, oh God, they're gonna love this. Another shout out here, um, <laughs> my friend Connor. Um, he's from uh, from New York, big Rangers fan. I'm not from New York. All right now. Oh. <laughs> uh, no one end. <laughs> oh, there it is. Um, no, um, he's from New York. He, uh, big Rangers fan, and we had a t- conversation back and forth last year about how, um, he would obviously do really well because of that lineup in New York um and that he wasn't sure what the the price would have been and but he was okay with it being what it was um because he wasn't too sold on Baron uh, being what they wanted him to be um right. which he thought with the whole thing with uh, Baron being on the top line for a game um his first comment was oh are they trying to make Baron something he's not so I feel like the general consensus is Baron is that, uh, you know, lower six guy. Um, it feels like, though, the Rangers' usage of Cobb overinflated people's opinions of him. Yeah. And a lot of Red Wings fans are unhappy with his performance. But, like, this is what you're going to get from him. Yeah. Prior to, um, you know, anything, like, before his last season, his career high in points was 39. Yeah. He's not he's not breaking out with any sort of stats or anything. Like that's a great number from a middle six guy. You're not gonna get over a point per game like you got from him in New York. Yeah, I can see why because of the Swiss Army knife thing that I mentioned earlier. Why 
the points, the big 18 points and 16 regular season game for the Rangers, people were like, oh, this guy can do everything. And if he's putting up points now, he could really be a top six, a bona fide top six player. But he's definitely regressed back to the high end middle six player that he was for the majority of his time in Winnipeg. And then that trade. I mean, if we're talking about Barron as a a mid to low end middle six player and cops a high end middle six player. Yeah. And then you throw Brad Lambert and Elias how do you say his last name? Salomon Salmonson. Salmonson, okay. I was close. Uh those you throw those two in, first round pick, second round pick. You have to give credit to the Jets scouting department. Uh we'll see if those picks pan out, but that's a pretty good trade. I mean, the yeah. Rangers got cop for what? Thirty games? Uh if you include playoffs, yeah. Yeah. So um, well that's the thing. I'm I've never been a fan of evaluating trades after they happen because yes. that's the thing. You could look at uh, you know, certain teams, they get really good picks and then they don't pick the players that they should. Right. Right. So it, a lot of this is on both the Jets and also getting lucky that a guy like Brad Lambert was available late yeah. in the first round there. Um but yeah, the the full trade was uh, the Jets trade Cop and a 2023 sixth to the Rangers for Morgan Barron and two conditional seconds uh, and a fifth round pick. And the condition was if the uh, Rangers advanced to Eastern Con- Conference Final, which they did, uh, that pick becomes a first. Mm-hmm. That was what became Brad, Brad Lambert. Lambert. Yeah. Um, so he's obviously immensely talented. Uh, he's missed a lot of time this year with the He's Moose had a really year. weird year. If you look at his stats and he... He has only three points, I believe, in 14 games, and he's a minus nine, which you look at that and you think, oh, God, this he's going to need some time transitioning to the pro game. But He missed like eight games with the flu because yeah. it was just brutal on him. And at the start of the year, they were rotating. Uh, they had so much forward depth, they don't anymore. He's playing like every game now, but they were rotating players in and out. Lucius, Lambert, they were giving them a game and then a game off uh, just because they had so many forwards and they had to play uh, certain guys and that's what they thought would help them best win games but it's he's had a really up and down year in terms of like even just getting into the lineup I'm, I'm not even talking about his performance like yeah he'll play six straight games then he'll miss four straight because he gets sick or they're rotating him out or yeah. whatever uh once he finally gets into a groove i think you'll start seeing some more points he is creating a ton of chances and he's still so dynamic with the puck on entry he's yeah. making defenders miss he's doing this he's doing that the points are going to come for him. Uh, the eye test and like what you're watching, you can clearly see that he has the talent to I mean, be an NHL player. Every time he brings the puck in, he makes like three or four guys miss. Yes. Um, and it's just a matter of the chances have to go in at some point. Yeah. And he has to keep playing. Yeah. And once he gets into that rhythm, I honestly think he'll he'll eventually develop into a good high-end middle six player. Yeah. And maybe even top six player if the talent and the means all align in the nhl but he's he's only 18 yeah so he's got a long way to go here i'm not no one's asking for him to be in the nhl lineup right now because he's not ready like plain and simple he needs time in the ahl but it looks a lot better than it really is that's all like from what i'm seeing in the games he's really doing special things with the puck and without the puck he's just He's having a weird year. It just happens. A weird start to the year. Yeah. Um, and then 
it's hard to really talk about uh, Salmonson because he's missed some time injury wise this year. Yeah. Um, and he didn't make Sweden's no he World didn't. junior team. Um, yeah. But he uh, like to see him there. Uh, yeah, this season uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name of the team because I feel like that would be disrespectful to the team itself. Yep. Um, <laughs> Good call. But he has, uh, you know, currently, uh, you know, five points in 18 games. Um, his big strength, and I did a lot of scouting on this because I hadn't heard of him prior to the draft, uh, and I wanted to see sort of what the Jets saw in him. He's very strong in his skating ability. He's really good at, uh, you know, his puck handling and his passing. But because of how good his skating is, he's able to actually, you know, cover himself defensively if he wants to get aggressive. Yeah. And I think that's a really good component to a defensive game is your ability to actually move around and contribute on both sides of the puck. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the biggest indictment on him by several is that he is another small Swedish defenseman. Right. Um, so... You know, he's he's currently he's 6'1", listed. I never know anymore if it's true or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah but true. he's one of those guys that, you know, makes up for, uh, you know, his you know his size with just being a really good puck mover. Yeah. You, you don't need him to have the, uh, the puck on a stick too much. He's going to get the puck out probably fairly quickly before anything happens. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing more from him, you know, as the season progresses uh, and to sort of make a general estimation as to when we'll see him in North America. I can see him possibly making a jump to the Moose in the next year or so. I, yes, either next year or the year after. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, overall though, that return has turned out well. Yes. Uh, At the time, I was pretty happy the fact that, I mean, the Rangers were pretty well positioned to make a run. So it made sense for them at the time. It did, but it also made sense for the Jets at the time. It, it were did. a Jets yeah. podcast, so. Um, so yeah, that was it. Ended up being, you know, it worked out for for both at the time. Um, but yeah, so that that trade itself, it, it was one of those ones that you look back on it, and both teams. I mean, the Rangers obviously don't have him either now. We've moved on. Yeah, it'll be fun to look back in a year and a bit when Lambert and Salmonson are, if. They make the NHL or they're yeah. uh, NHL contributors. Now, the thing with deadline trades when there's picks involved is you won't know who the winner is really till four years now from now because Brad Lambert at his peak as a hockey player is yeah. probably four years away when he's 22 or 23, exactly. right? So you're not really going to know. Um, but it's looking optimistic. It I'll is. say that. Yes. Yeah. Um, with that, we're just going to quickly touch on uh, the weekend. Um, just because we've run long this episode, but we, you know, forgive us. We, we have, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't been here in a week and, uh, you know, we actually did have an Elliot appearance. So, uh, there was a brief moment there where all of us were together in the studio. So, um, yeah, so we figured we'd run a little bit long this week, but we also, we had a full week of games that we did not cover. Right. Um, so, uh, going into the weekend though, we've got a, a back to back against the Canucks and Kraken. So a nice little, you know, Pacific Northwest swing. Um, Canucks are a weird, weird team. Because did they, did they do this trip already? The Canucks cracking back to back. I remember they played the Kraken on the second night of a back to back. That was their one game against them. But did they start with the Canucks? I don't actually know if they've played yet. I'm gonna. They yeah. played the Kraken for sure. Oh but yeah, no, yeah, they played the Kraken. They ended up winning. Oh, that it was one. the Flames. It was yeah, the Flames. They okay, did Flames. So it was... Yeah, so this is their first trip to Vancouver this year. Okay. Uh, who are a very 
odd team because Very. they started off they hadn't they won they won one game in their first they 10. were the worst team in the nhl yeah and now they're actually like decent yeah they're like they're <laughs> pressing a little bit they've been hovering yeah. around 500 for the last couple of weeks that's a team where we talked about some letdown spots i don't know like the canucks are on the way up the kraken actually on the way down i mean to an extent yes um I Haven't think they, aren't they like one and five in their last six? They are because they they went ten one and one in November, right? Which, yeah. which was ridiculous. Yeah, and there was a lot of reasons for that. Uh, a big issue here is a combo between some poor defensive play and um, the goaltending being regressing back to normal. And for normal for them is bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah both goalies uh, were as of because I wrote a piece uh, about how they were slumping. Um, you want to lean back again in that seat, or <laughs> wow, <laughs> that um, loud. But no, like they were uh, they were regressing fairly quickly, and I think both goalies right now are sitting in the eight eighties for a save percentage, <laughs> and a lot of that was because Martin Jones was left in for all thirteen goals of the uh, the Sharks game where it was eight five Kraken and the Kings, Kings game which was yeah. eight or nine eight, so uh, that that hurts, but definitely hurts. I will say against. Uh, the Hurricanes the other night, Grubauer had like 39 saves, and he uh, he's been up and down. He has, but he also hasn't played game. as much. So w- it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens uh, going forward because they've been hanging around in that like an actual Pacific Division spot, yeah. Um, which was not thought was going to happen. I mean, I put out a piece earlier in the year saying they could. Uh, not and a lot of people thought they would. No, um, here they are. And but a lot of the reasons as to why they were are now disappearing and suddenly they're looking bad again. So I'm like, this is what I was talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Canucks cracking a little back to back Saturday, Sunday, and then they get Ottawa at home on Tuesday. We're going to look to record next Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so that we can get all three of those games into another episode. We'll look for some storylines that come out of those games. Hopefully um, three wins. I mean, the jets, are probably going to be favored in all three, maybe not against the Kraken on the second night of a back-to-back, but those are games that you should win. But again, beware of a of a possible letdown because at some point these injuries have to catch up to them. Oh yeah, exactly. So, and they will. Like it's inevitable that they'll have a game like the Columbus one where you're just scratching your head. Why did they lose that game? And then and then they respond. So it's and like, then they respond. Yeah, that's the thing. Like oh, the key is not you know what happens in these games. It's how you you know bounce back. Right. Um, I'd say that. The game against Vegas was still a bounce back because they where it was a competitive yeah. game uh, after that miserable Washington game, um, but no, it's it's how you you bounce back. So if something happens this weekend where they they drop a game, I'd be curious to see how you know things rebound after that. I will say if they lost that game to the Predators in OT, only getting one point out of a possible six at home against three inferior opponents, the tone of this podcast would have been much different. But oh, yeah. it's a good thing that they won. Yeah, because. They needed that. Uh, they needed to win one of those games, especially when sure. they outplayed Nashville for, so yeah. badly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll be back next week, hopefully, with uh, you know some recaps from the games, maybe a little bit of a, a World Junior preview for the yes. couple of Jets players that uh, are getting their their chance to put on their country sweater. So Lucius is like a limited participant for USA right now. He might play. He's missed a lot of time, about a week or two with the Moose, and then Lambert got named to Finland's. 
camp roster, I yeah, believe. They were yeah. really late in actually they announcing really their because that's the thing. Canada has their team already. Yeah, they're so, running lines in practices. I saw them which today. it's not fair. I know. I mean, the top line. You got right and Bedard uh, on the top. Yeah, line. I think it was like like yeah, right and Bedard, and then you know Fantilli's on the second line. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's ridiculous, but no, we'll we'll have a bit more of a talk with that. Watch. Let us know if you want us to see if we can find some sort of time to do just a brief little World Junior preview uh, that isn't just related to the Jets, because I know a lot of people are interested in knowing oh, who some of these guys are, who yeah. they will be. So uh, let us know if you want us to do a bit of a World Junior preview. We'll put a little bit of a poll out on Twitter maybe as well. Sure, yeah. Um, and like that was the thing, we'd probably only cover about 10, 15 minutes, just like a mini yeah. episode, uh, also because uh, you know we're getting into the holidays here. We're going to probably miss an episode or two here just because of Christmas break, yeah. and someone, Connor, uh, is going to be in Florida. So, <laughs> You uh, guys can record in the snow, and I'll be laughing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. Like we, <laughs> We're going to be suffering here. At, uh, this, this, <laughs> we're just going to be suffering. Well, I, I mean, mean, let's not get it twisted. Yeah. Well, we've, we've had it good. It's, uh, it's slushy. It's gross out, but it's supposed to drop down to the minus 20s it's uh, this week. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you're getting out of here just as it's getting cold. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're going to hope to get in here, though, one more time before the holidays. Uh, so um, from all of us here, from Elliot, who left early on, and uh, from Connor, uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Go Jets. Go Jets. You've been listening to the Level Flight Podcast. 